Amen. You guys can grab a seat. How are we doing this morning? Everybody good? Can you see me? It's a little dark. Is that better? We installed the clapper. How cheesy was that, right? So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be. Uh, we finally made it out of Luke chapter 8. I think we were only in there for like six weeks or something. Um, while you're flipping there, though, I want to uh, not embarrass, but show honor to somebody really fast. Um, where's Caleb? Come here, Caleb Hamby. Um, so for those that might not know, Caleb has been an intern for us over the past year. Um, he's graduating, what, in like a week and a half, two weeks, uh, maybe, yeah. Uh, and then we'll be moving up to Greenville and getting married and all that kind of stuff. And so um, next week is going to be, I'll talk about it later, going to be kind of a different Sunday. We've got a bunch of different elements coming in. Um, so I want to make sure that we showed honor to Caleb this week for serving so well. Um, he's not going to be a church planter yet, but we're still praying he's going to go that way. Uh, maybe that's a failure as a pastor, but who knows. Um, so Caleb, I just want to tell you thanks, man. Thanks for all you've done. Thanks for the way you serve and the way you lead, and we really appreciate you. I don't have a gift, so don't get your hopes up. But Thank you. Thanks, man. Love you, buddy. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 9, 1 through 10 is where we're going to be camping out. Um, and there's a couple, I've talked a, a few times before about my first sermon ever, like actually preached within a church, uh, how I basically just memorized a, a Louis Giglio sermon and went to town. Um, if you don't know who that is, you should go watch him because he's really good um, and he's easy to memorize. Um, but as I was getting ready for this, I, I remembered um, my sophomore year. Where's a sophomore in college? Do we have any sophomores? Yeah, you're still kind of like, me, kind of. Okay, um, I might still be a sophomore next year, too. We'll see, one of those things. So, sophomore year in college, I was working a camp called Power Plant, and so we would travel around the country, and um, that's how I fell in love with church planting. It's why I'm a church planter, because we would host about 150, 200 students, um, and so in the mornings, we would trade them in worship and church planting and discipleship. During the afternoons, they would go actually partner with a church plant in town, and then at night, they'd come back, and we'd have a big worship gathering, and um, we'd fly in speakers. It was, it was just a cool camp. So we get to Pittsburgh. Anyone ever been to Pittsburgh? That's a really cool town. Uh, got to Pittsburgh, library, Baptist Church. I don't know why I remember that. Um, set everything up because we were portable. So that summer, we went from, uh, let's see, Orlando, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Seattle, and Vancouver. And we did a camp in every single one of those places. Got to Pittsburgh, set everything up. Um, got a phone call. It was a Sunday night that the speaker's flight was delayed, and so we didn't have a Sunday night speaker's, the big kickoff. Um, so I, that summer, I'm the team leader, and they said, okay, uh, hey, Gabe, you've got two hours to preach to 200 kids. You ever preached before? Uh, no. no I'm, I'm a sophomore in college. I have not. They're like, okay, great. You're up. It walked out of the room. Um, so, like, we had kind of curriculum that all the speakers would kind of stay close to. Uh, but I just remember, um, I would say freaking out is putting it mildly. Uh, it's, it's one thing to lead a smaller Bible study. It's one thing to have a gospel conversation. But to never been able to been on a stage to preach to 200 people um, was a little bit of a stretch for me. Anyone else? Has anyone ever been put in a situation where, like, uh, God, if you don't show up, I'm not going to survive through this? And so um, last week we talked a lot about uh, hopelessness and how the gospel shows up in hopelessness. So we kind of have this framework that, that the strongest and most powerful situations typically pop up when there's all hope is lost. And so where we're going to go with this morning, Luke 9, um, is kind of with that, but from a different angle, from a different experience. 
And so we're going to watch as Jesus asks these disciples, hey, I'm going to ask you to do something totally different, totally crazy, totally outside your spectrum of strength, and you're going to see what happens. Now think of a time in your life where that has taken place, where you were forced, maybe um, like me, where you had to walk into an element where you were uncomfortable. Um, maybe you were asked or maybe you voluntarily walked into this situation. Uh, how did you react? How did you feel? What were you thinking? Because as we get into the minds of the disciples this morning, that's the questions we want to ask. And so picking it up, Luke 9, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Luke 9, verse 1. And he, being Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave there, take the, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everyone. So let's pray as we dive into this text. Now, Father, would you illuminate um, the gospel for us through this? God, would we understand our role, how you've created us, how you've designed us? And Father, Maybe why we are where we are in the different situations and the different lifestyles, even here in Dahlonega, God, why you have placed us here. But Jesus, more importantly, would we become more like you today? God, would you sanctify us and give us opportunities to uh, be your agent of reconciliation wherever we go? It's your name that we pray. Amen. Now, if you're new here, we've been kind of working through the book of Luke. Um, there's whatever expository preaching, whatever you want to label it as. But, but here's the big deal. Here's the big reason. We want to stay true to what the Bible says. So we can take this text and we can move it and say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We need to share the gospel more. We can see the 26,000. So we're going to talk about sharing the gospel. Uh, but if you have any, just for me, raise your hand if you have any background in church. Okay, keep them up, keep them up. What are you doing? Don't be Baptist today. Um, raise your hand if you were literally like raised in church your entire life. Okay, you know nothing other than the church. Okay, so look around. You can see how many people this is. When we know, so you can put your hands down. Thank you. Matthew 28, the great commission, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, remembering all that I have taught you. So we understand this, that disciples walked with Jesus for three years, but three years before Jesus actually sent them out. So we can take passages like this and say, okay, here's the model of the church. Um, three years, the discipleship process takes three years. So you're going to disciple and you're going to disciple and you're going to disciple, but, but if you're not ready, it's okay. We understand it's still new. Uh, you need to learn. You need to grow in. And so you don't actually have to do that yet. Uh, but just do me a favor. With your Bibles, flip over to Luke 6. We're just going to kind of make sure we understand where we are in the Scriptures. Some of you might be a page. Some of you might be two pages. Luke chapter 6. Everybody there? Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Do you see what that says? The heading. Now, the heading wasn't there in the original Greek, but just for this argument. 
the 12 apostles. Okay, so Luke chapter 6, Jesus picks the 12 apostles. 12 disciples. We know that in Luke chapter 5, um, he picked a couple, but this is when he actually named the 12 disciples. So after that, Jesus ministers to a great multitude of people. Um, then he has what they call the Sermon on the Mount. So he teaches a ton. Um, then he heals the centurion's servant, raises the widow's son, deals with John the Baptist, um, teaches through that, has some run-ins with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, keep going, um, sinful woman forgiven. So he had the prostitute come wash his feet teaches the Pharisees a lot through that. Um, now we're in chapter 8, woman accompanying Jesus, the parable of the sower. We talked through this, the purpose of parables. So at this point, he takes the disciples aside and says, listen, I'm going to teach you a little bit more than what I'm teaching the crowds because I've chosen you. You're going to do great works for me. A lamp under the jar, keep going. Jesus, mothers and brothers. Jesus calms the storm. Jesus heals a man with a demon. Um, he heals the woman who had the 12 years of discharge. Jairus' daughter, or Jairus' daughter, here we are. Okay, so that was in a really quick bust of just a couple chapters. And Jesus is already sending out his disciples. Already. Already. Do you think they knew a lot? Do you think Jesus was purposely putting them in an uncomfortable situation? So as we're going through here, um, the big idea that I think the text is teaching that we're going to try to get to um, is that the spread of the gospel or any gospel movement is not dependent on you and how great you are. It's dependent on your obedience to Christ, period. And we're going to kind of go through some of these examples and, and try to go uh, down this road a little bit. Um, so let's go back to verse 1. And we're just going to point out some different things that will help us get to this point. Because he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the disease or demons and to cure diseases. So the power is the ability to accomplish the task, but authority is the right to do it. So the power is how you accomplish, authority is the right to do it. Now, we know if we fast forward that Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, the helper. So all this power and all this authority that Jesus was giving his disciples, if you're a believer now, we already have. That was given to us by Christ. And this is just a little sidebar. You can put elastic here. He called them together, uh, meaning that they weren't always with Jesus 24-7. Maybe that will bust up some framework. But some of them had family. Some of them had lives. And so they would go home and they'd come back and follow Jesus and do these missions. But he called them all together for this one mission and he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So he was very, Jesus was very intentional on, there's two things. There's the soul and there's the body. Don't neglect either. Don't neglect either. It's a, I learned this in marching band. Anyone else marching band nerds? Okay, yeah, I was in, I was in the drum line. That's different. It's not any different. I just like to say that. Um, back in sophomore year, no one cares how much you know until they... Okay, I'll finish it for you. Know how much you care, right? No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So Jesus is sending them out going, listen, to, yes, preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel. But at the same time, if there's someone that's hungry in front of you, feed them. And I'm going to give you all the authority to heal diseases and to um, cure things. Now here's, uh, maybe if you've grown up really good Baptist, uh, maybe you're going to disagree with me and that's fine. Miracles still happen. That power, and maybe we should make this a whole other sermon, that power that lives in Christ 
to, that he gives to the disciples, now it lives in us, can still cure diseases, can still cure illnesses. Even this week, uh, Rob and Jennifer have family. Can I say where? I don't know if it's, okay. In Indonesia, they live in as missionaries. And they were talking about a story uh, where it's kind of a non-religious, more of a Muslim background in my understanding. Um, so the, the town leader, his son was sick, got hit, hit guy car, yeah. Um, hit by a car. So these, this family is known in town as people that love Jesus. They're Christ followers. And so um, this town leader called their family and said, hey, listen, uh, will you pray to whatever you believe in for my son because I think he's about to die? So they stopped on the mark, um, kind of being a little bit like, is this a trap? Like, is this, are you kind of setting me up for something? But stopped, prayed, uh, prayed over him, continued to pray. Um, that town leader called back and said, I don't know what you did, but my son woke up and saying Jesus repeatedly. What did you do? Like, who are you praying to? Coincidence? Ridiculous. No. He still does miracles. So we read this and go, okay, we can proclaim Jesus, but like, we don't really know. No, that's, that's crap. Can I just say that? Yeah, that's just crap. That's a lack of faith. We can still do miracles. Jesus is still active here. We've got to believe in that. We've got to pursue that, right? So he sends them out to take care of the body and the soul to proclaim the good news. Uh, again, uh, just a band story. I don't know why I'm so many band stories. Uh, when I was a sophomore, our band went to London to march in the parade and blah, 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 blah. But while we were there, there was a fire that broke out, smoke alarms and all this kind of stuff. I don't never have actually saw the fire. I think it was just a false alarm. Uh, but you know when you're a sophomore in high school, you think like you're awesome and you're invincible and you're the coolest guy ever? Uh, just me? Uh, okay. That's what I believe. So uh, my best friend and I thought it was our responsibility to get everyone out of this 24-story hotel single-handedly. So the fire alarm's going off, every, and so we take it into ourselves. We're running every floor, knocking on the door. Hey, there's a fire. Hey, there's a fire. Because legitimately, you couldn't hear the smoke alarm in the room. Um, so we were, like, going everywhere, knocking on every door, every, I'm not lying, every single floor, my best friend and I went and knocked on every single door. How ridiculous is that? Looking back, what were we thinking? Just go outside. But we thought we were the heroes because we had something to proclaim. We had a message to get out. The building is on fire. Go outside. And we believed in that so much so that we looked like fools running every single floor of that to knock on the door and get people out. We all have a message that we're proclaiming. The question is, do we believe in it enough to look like fools? Do we really understand and push so hard that we're going to run every single floor, we're going to run every single neighborhood, every single dorm room, knocking on doors because we have a message that we believe in that much? Verse 3, and he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Uh, again, we could dive a lot into this because in Luke 22, Jesus actually tells them the opposite. He says, hey, get your stuff ready, and we're going to send you out. Um, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to do this, but I have a boy now, Grady, and so eventually I'm going to treat him maybe a little different than I treat the girls, and I, I know that's not popular these days, but um, eventually just my idea, when he turns 16, I'd love to give him a knife and like, a piece of flint and say, go survive, son, for the weekend. Drop you off in the middle of the forest. Um, go, go do it. You've got what it takes go. And if he makes it, then he's my son. If he doesn't, sorry, buddy. Maybe next time. 
But seriously, I, I really think, I haven't told Bree this, and that look, this is not going to happen, but, but I really think I'm going to do this, and here's why. I want him to be able to understand and be fully dependent on himself. Is it bad to go camping with a tent and take some water with you, take protection, maybe take a gun? Like, is it bad to go out into the woods fully prepared? No, not at all. But is he going to learn more when he has to survive on himself? Yes. In the same way, Jesus, the first time he sends out his disciples, he says, no, don't take anything. Take nothing with you. I have to be the sole power for you in this mission. And when you can, when you're mature enough, when you understand the gospel enough, yes, you can take other stuff with you. But this first time, take nothing and watch me provide for you. Verse 4, and whatever house you enter, stay there and stay there and then depart. Verse 5, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. There's this concept, and in, in very early in church planning, we ran into it, and it's so true. It's called this idea of people of peace. Has anyone ever heard this? It's a biblical, when we get to Luke chapter 10, we'll talk more about it. But what Jesus is saying is that there's going to be people that are hostile, that you're not going to be able, no matter what you do, no matter how good you preach, they're not going to be interested in the gospel at all. Don't waste your time on those people. Find the people of peace. Find the people that welcome you into their home, that love on you, that are encouraged by you. And so my wife and I have experienced this. As we move up, there's families that we'll pursue, but if we're the only one pursuing, if we call three, four, five times, and they never actually actually come over, hey, we love you guys, you're great guys, but we're moving on. You're not a person of peace for us. So what Jesus is saying is when you go into these towns, um, and this is, this is not Jesus' words, this is paraphrase, I'll walk over here for this, don't waste your time on people that aren't respecting you. Don't waste your time on people that aren't listening to you. Don't waste your time. Find the people that bring you in, that show hospitality, that love on you, that even they don't believe in the gospel, they don't know what you're talking about, but there's some kind of interest. They're peaceful to you. So as we're talking about sharing the gospel, that is a huge principle for us as a church to understand, is look for the people of peace. And one of the things for me that brings me a ton of clarity as I'm leading a church uh, is two L's, leaders and lost. That will keep me busy enough. I want to focus on the leaders that I can take from point A to point B, and I want to focus on the lost. If you're just kind of wanting to, like, pretend the church game and you want to play something, man, that's, that's on you. If that's where you are, that you're not really taking the gospel serious, you're just kind of figuring some things out, man, we're glad you're here. Get involved in a missional community. Get plugged in. Do all of that kind of stuff. Just take that process slowly if that's what God's asking you to do. But the people of, priest, people of peace principle, there we go, that's a lot of peace. Uh, kind of make me want to go pee-pee. Um, as the people of peace principle, stop, don't judge me. We've got to focus on the leaders in the lost where there's people that are welcoming us in. We can talk to a brick wall all day long, but there's people around us. There's some of these 26,000 that are so hungry for the gospel. Let's go find them and pursue them. Verse 6. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Healing everywhere. But you know what's not in that verse? Numbers. Real results. Right? Because it happens in Acts. It's recorded. The same guy that wrote Luke wrote Acts. And he talks about 3,000 were added to their numbers. So Luke is a doctor. He's 
wired that way to record numbers. It's intentional here that numbers were not included. And we'll understand that in a second. Verse 10, And on the return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and they, he, Jesus, took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When we serve the gospel, when we go out and we make disciples, it's imperative for us to rest. Uh, there's a quote that I read from a guy named Vance Harver. He said, if we don't come apart and rest, we'll just come apart. If we don't come apart and rest, we'll just come apart. So it's imperative. Jesus does it. He encourages his disciples to do it. When you serve hard, when you're proclaiming the gospel, when you're living as a Christ follower, it's okay and it's necessary to come back and to rest. But just on the other side, don't rest unless you're doing something, right? Don't, don't be lazy. Don't take this as an excuse. Oh, it's my time to rest. What have you done? What are you resting from? Nothing? Okay. Uh, no, it's not time to rest. It's time to go. So as we kind of wrestle through this, the spread of the gospel is not dependent on your anything. We, we have to examine the scripture to see what, what Jesus was doing and what the disciples were doing. And once we kind of get this framework, I think it's going to free a lot of us up this morning as it goes to making disciples. So what did Jesus do? We see that he starts off, Jesus sent them out. Whose idea was it for these apostles and disciples to go out and to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and to heal? Was it the disciples' idea or was it Jesus' idea? So Jesus sent them. If you have your scripture, flip over just a couple uh, books to Romans 10. Romans 10, 13 through 15. Romans 10, 13 through 15. And like always, if you don't own a Bible and these Bibles that are on the table, please take one. We want you to have it. Romans 10, starting off in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear with someone without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It was Jesus' idea to send out the disciples. They were sent. So the whole idea of this is not your idea. The whole beauty of this is not about you. It's about Jesus sending them. So if Jesus sends, do you not think he's going to equip this was Jesus' idea. Do you not think he's going to take care of the details? Number two, um, Jesus gave them the power and the authority. So Jesus sent them, but he also equipped them with the power and the authority. So, so far, if you're keeping track, the disciples have done nothing. Jesus sent them. It was Jesus' idea, and he gave them the power and the authority to make it happen. Now we've got the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Number three, Jesus provided the provision. Again, if you're keeping track, Jesus, three disciples, nothing. Jesus' idea, Jesus equipped them, and Jesus provided for them. All they had to do was be obedient. All they had to do, all the details, everything was figured out first and foremost by Jesus. He equipped them, and he sent them. So uh, let's look at the other side. Let's be fair. Uh, what did the disciples do? 
They were morons. I mean, we can't, again, we've got to keep this in contextualization. Um, what just happened last week when we were going through? Um, what happened in verse 52? Jesus walks into this room to heal this 12-year-old that had passed away, and Peter, James, and John laughed at him. She's not dead. I'm, I'm in control of this. And they laughed at Jesus. And then just four verses later, now he's sending them out to proclaim the good news of Jesus. So what did the disciples do? Were they ready? No. His inner circle, his boys, his crew, just four or five verses before, were laughing and mocking him, thinking that he was a fool. All right, so if we're keeping track, Jesus, three, disciples, goose egg. They weren't, another thing, what did the disciples do? They weren't even responsible for the response. Jesus said, people of peace, verse, shake the dust. How people respond to you, it, it doesn't matter. It's not about you. If they respond nicely, go stay with them and proclaim the gospel. If they don't, shake the dust off your feet and keep going. So even their words and their mannerisms, they were not responsible for the way that people responded. And just with that, the last one, they weren't even responsible for the results. Luke did not include the results for a reason. They weren't even responsible for any of that. So Jesus took, equipped them with the Holy Spirit, gave them power and authority, took care of all the provisions, and he took care of their power and authority. He sent them, equipped them with power and authority, took care of all their provisions. The disciples were a bunch of fools that were just mocking him a few verses before, but they were obedient. But they were obedient. So we talk about this often. We'll talk about it later. That is 26,000 people within a 20-minute drive of right here that don't know the gospel. That is the point of the church. Like, does it ever resonate that, that there's no plan B for us? That for whatever reason, God has decided to use his church, his bride, to go out and to make disciples, to go proclaim the gospel where we go. That there's, there's no plan B. And listen, I'll just level with you guys. Uh, I am a huge local church guy. Do parachurches have their place? That's a, that, we can talk about that later. It's the job of the church to make disciples. We are a plan A. Like us in this room, we are plan A. The believers, the church. That is how God wired us. That is how he designed everything to work. So when we talk about the 26,000 around us, we're not, I'm, I'm not just bringing this number up. That's why we're here and that's why we exist. But I think we psych ourselves out. Uh, there's a book by a guy named Tim Bauer that talks about basically sharing your faith and evangelism. And he narrows it down to uh, four or five basic reasons why we don't share our faith. Uh, number one is that more than 50% of people say fear of how the other person would react. So I don't share the faith. I don't proclaim the gospel. I don't really do anything that the disciples are doing. I don't really participate because I'm, I'm afraid of how the people are going to react. But remember, Jesus took that away from us in, in Luke chapter 9. Jesus took that excuse away from You're not responsible for how people react. You're responsible for being obedient. Let me take care of literally everything else. 
all the details, how they might respond, how they might react. I'm taking that excuse away from you. There should be no fear. Just be obedient, and I will literally take care of everything else. And the second pocket, only 25% say they didn't feel like they knew enough to share the gospel. 25% say they don't know. And, and the more I talk to people, I don't know if I agree with the statistics, because it seems like that, to me, is the higher one. That people feel like, I don't know enough, I'm not, I, I, like, the church hasn't discipled me, the church hasn't done this. Okay, remember, Jesus just took that away from you. Peter, James, and John just laughed at Jesus. Do you think they understand the power of God? Do you think they understand everything about this? No. Do you think they were ready? No. I mean, we might have done this, we might have woke up this morning, and we might have a situation going on in our life that we are openly mocking God about. Is that disqualifying us? Didn't disqualify the disciples. So you think you don't know enough. I hate to break it to you, and this is for me too. Jesus just took that away from us. Because it's not our power, our authority, our words that draw people to him anyways. It's himself. It's the obedience that we practice. Maybe another side, let me, let me tease that one out some. Um, what would it take for you to say, okay, at this point, I now know enough? If we're going to say 25% of people, I don't know enough to share the gospel, just write it down for me. Just think through it. What would it take for you to say, okay, at this point right here in history, in time, I, gave God, now know enough to share the gospel. What, what would it look like? What would it be? And once you start really processing and thinking through that, it becomes a little bit more clear that that's just an excuse for us. Because that field goal is going to keep getting pushed back and back and back. Like, well, maybe, like maybe once I've read through Luke completely, Gabe. Yeah, when you finish the Luke series, then I'll, I'll be ready to go. Okay, uh, we're going to be in Luke for like two years. So two years you'll be ready to go. But then what's going to happen there? And I'm not trying to, because I'm just as guilty. Um, the majority of this room all raised our hands said we grew up in church. So we're looking from anywhere from 18 years to 50 years, 60 years. So when is enough enough? Or are we working on the wrong problem? Is it not knowledge? Is it just obedience? That there's not actually a when I get here, it's more of when I obey God then. Uh, the, the third reason that uh, Bauer talks about, I need to get my own life in order first. You don't know me. You don't know what I'm struggling with. Uh, you don't know. Like, I, I cannot tell people about Jesus because like, my life is a wreck. Share that. That's the beauty of the gospel. Share that. Like, what you just think has disqualified has actually disqualified you. Share the fact that your life is a wreck, but there's a God that loves you and completely and utterly, no matter what you've done or what you do. Share that part. I think, and I've talked about it a couple times, and I think we just need to keep reiterating, who we raise up in Hebrews 11 as being like the heroes of faith would never get a job in a local church today. Ever. So you look at David, a man after God's own heart, had an affair with a married woman, and instead of being honest about it, he had that husband killed. I'm, 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 
I'm hoping that like we get to a point where we can start hiring some more guys here. But if someone throws that out on their resume, I'm not hiring that dude. I'm sorry. Like you had an affair, then killed it, killed the husband to cover up. Um, no, <laughs> bye. Like don't kill me, right? Moses, Moses. Everyone knows Moses killed a man with his bare hands. I'm going to give Moses a job just so he doesn't kill me. I'm just saying. If, that, if I'm in that interview process, yes, Moses, come work for me. But did you also know that he had a pretty bad stutter? Like, so, so Moses, the one, Ten Commandments, that guy who preached and proclaimed the good news of God had a pretty severe stutter. He had a speech impediment. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. If we said, once our life gets to this point, then I can start sharing the gospel. Then I can be open and I can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The guys in the Old Testament didn't even have that right. Peter, James, and John didn't have that right. We don't have that right, church. We have the right to be obedient. Maybe a couple more. Um, number four for his list was that he's just, people were just too busy. I'm too busy to share the gospel. And we won't have a lot of time to do that. Um, I'll just say this, the Great Commission, go and make disciples. A more accurate translation is as you're going. The people that you live with, that you work with, that you do life with are the ones that you share the gospel with. So if you're saying, I'm too busy, I'm going to say, where do you work and tell me about it? Who, who do you interact with on a day-to-day and tell me about it? I'm not saying you need to stop and for 24 days, I don't know 24, but for 24 days, like do nothing other than go preach the gospel somewhere. Maybe God's called you to that. But who do you work with and who do you live with? And the last one, which I think is probably the most genuine answer, is I just don't care. I just, I just don't, like, I, I understand that Jesus sent the disciples out. I understand that's what believers are called to do. But, Gabe, if I'm just really honest, like, I just don't care. I don't, I don't care about sharing the gospel. I don't care about proclaiming the good news. I, I just, if I'm just being honest, I just don't care. And my response, thanks for being honest. I wish more people could get to that point. But you need to know that that's your heart behind it, that you just don't care. Because I want to tell you the beautifulness of Jesus. See, here's where we have to stop and have to put a pin in all this, lest I sound like a crazy legalist up here. Jesus was not sending out the disciples so that they would earn his love, right? Right? Jesus is not sending out the disciples to proclaim how good Jesus is because Jesus is insecure and he needs some kind of affirmation. Jesus is not sending them out just because the disciples had walked with him and they were starting to understand how powerful he was, that he actually really might be God. All that he had accomplished, at this point they had seen him heal two people back from the dead. So they're not doing this. They're not going out in efforts that Jesus might love them more. They're doing this because how much Jesus has already loved them, and they want to be obedient to a good God. Those are two huge different distinctions. So as we're talking through this, that's why I'm saying if, if you just don't care, if you're just like, man, like I know like that's a church thing. I know the Bible verses to support that. Uh, but just in this season of my life, I just, I just honestly don't care enough to do it. Okay. I would rather you have that answer than you say, I'm going to go do this out of guilt or out of anything like that. Because at least you're being honest about where you really are with your faith. There's a, there's a video I watched a long time ago. 
And there's about this guy that um, was having some pretty severe suicidal thoughts, had wrestled through depression and moved to New York uh, to try to get a new job straight out of college. Um, was incredibly lonely. His job didn't work out. His life was just not turning out like he had planned. And so he said, you know, like, this is, this is it. Tonight is the night. Like, this is not the life that I wanted. I'm not in control. Therefore, I'm going to take control, and I'm, I'm going to end my life tonight. This is, this is it. Goes up to the roof of his uh, building, his condo building in New York. One last basketball game for this guy. I'm going to do one last thing that I enjoy. This is going to kind of be my final uh, party here because I have no friends to party with. That's why I'm depressive. That's why I'm suicidal. So, so this is it. I'm, I'm going to go play basketball. So he's on the roof playing basketball as his last hoorah, uh, minutes maybe at most an hour away from taking his own life. Jude walks on to the basketball court on the roof and says, hey, uh, I don't know you, but I need to tell you something. You matter to God. And if this seems bizarre, I apologize, but I was just praying, and God told me to go up to this roof and tell whoever's on the roof about God, and you're on the roof. I'm, I'm here to tell you that God cares about you, and he loves you. Now, just put yourself in this scenario for a second. If you're this guy on this roof, if you're playing basketball, if you're hours away, minutes away from taking your own life, God shows up out of nowhere and says, I don't know you, but you need to know you're loved by God. Is that going to wreck your life a little bit? So the guy, the stranger, shows up and says, hey, like, is, are you interested? Dude breaks down, yes, of course I'm interested. Let me tell you something. I'm 30 minutes away from committing suicide. Yes, I'm, I'm interested. Goes through the whole gospel. God accepts Jesus that night. Turns his whole, obviously does not go through with his plan. And here's, here's why I'm telling you all this. That story rocked me five years ago like it's rocking me today because we have that opportunity. That's not just some mythical story, once in a blue moon, that's never going to happen again. Uh, that could be our interaction this week with someone. That if we have the authority, if we have the power, uh, the need is here, right? 26,000 people, the need is here. And I love where this story falls in Luke because it's not at the end. It's not when the disciples were fully equipped. It's not when they were full ready to go. It's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So as we talk about making disciples, as we talk about this one-for-one -one campaign, as we move from here, here's what we just need to start recognizing. If you cannot fail, what would you do? If you cannot fail, what would you do? Now, that's a great question for just like life coaching as you're dreaming, as you're thinking about your career, all this stuff. Like if failure is not an option, what would you do? But to get rid of the fear that we have about sharing the gospel, Jesus takes all that fear away from us. There's, there's no failure for us here. As we tell people the good news of Jesus Christ, if they reject you, they're rejecting God. It's not on you. If they accept Jesus, that's on Jesus. That's not on you. If you're scared about having no provisions, about stepping out in faith, good. He's going to provide. You cannot fail in sharing the gospel. Even if you stutter and stammer your whole way through it, you cannot fail sharing the gospel. 
Even if it's incoherent and makes no sense, what did I just say? It's not about you. It's bigger than you. If it wasn't, do you think Jesus would have sent Peter and James and John out? Hey, everyone else go. You three morons, you stay back. You just laughed at me. Forget it. I don't trust you this time. No, it's not about us. It's not about anything we do or say. Again, Jesus provided everything. The disciples were obedient. So for us this week, I don't know where you are in your faith journey. I know where some of you are. I don't know where the majority of you are. But again, Jesus takes that away from us. So it doesn't doesn't matter where you are. Proclaim the good news of Jesus. And if your life is a wreck, even better. Even better. So, uh, let let me put this aside for one second and talk to the people that Maybe this morning you're just saying, hey, like that guy that doesn't care, um, I'm that guy. I'm that girl. Like I've heard this sermon before. I understand. Go make disciples everywhere. The church, I know, like that's, that's what the church is for. That's what the church does. I, I'm not doing it because I just don't care. Here, here's what, if you just make a promise to me, and this is just between me and you, if you would just make a promise to me, over the next month, would you just read the book of John? All I want you to do, it's all I'm asking you to do. Read the book of John, and in a month, can I buy you a cup of coffee? That's all I want. And if you'll take me up on that challenge, there's a communication card. Uh, just, you don't even have to write your name fully. Just get me some way to get in contact with you, or just tell me that you're doing it. And then if you do it, follow up after a month and say, I did what you asked. Let's talk. I just, just want to throw that out. If you just don't care, give me a month. Give the gospel a month, and, and then let's talk. But for the rest of us, if we're feeling this, like, man, God has been so good to me, it's now time for us to proclaim it. Uh, we've got one for one. We wish we could share the gospel. We wish every 26,000 of these behind us would be saved today, but we, can't, we are not responsible for that. We're just responsible for the one. We're going to share with one what we wish we could share with all of them. I want you to do that this week. I want our obedience to start this week. That's just not us. I mean, that's just not that's me too. That's all of us. I want us to try this week. I would love to have a part of our gathering next week where we have testimonies of people saying, yeah, I tried to share the gospel this week and it went awful. I, no, I, I tried. Will you guys pray for me? Because I got into a situation. I said, do you know... Jennifer Aniston? Crap, why am I talking about Jennifer Aniston? Because here, and again, as we land the plane tonight, we end every gathering the same. We take communion, we get the body that's represented by the bread, and we dip it in the juice that's represented by the blood. This is why we proclaim, because what Jesus has first done for us. This is the good news of the gospel, that in the beginning, everything was created, everything was perfect, but because of the sins of Adam, everything has fallen apart, and we can feel it. Every part of ourself has been destroyed. 
We want what we can't have, and we have anger and, and horrible thoughts and everything about us that even if we try to clean ourselves up, we can't. We cannot make ourselves perfect. Um, we've done everything we can, and it does not work, and God knew that, so he sent Christ for us. That we don't have to become perfect on ourselves, that through Christ, through the cross, that we are now a new creation. So you don't have to try anymore. You don't have to try to sanctify yourself. If you believe in the beauty of Christ and what he's done for you, um, 2 Corinthians said you have become a new creation. So you can walk in that identity as sons and daughters of the king. That's who we are and that's where we go. It's not backwards. It's not we're going to go do this so that Christ would love us and maybe save us. And if you ever hear me preaching that, I will repent every single day for that. That is not the beauty of the gospel. And that's why we stop and we celebrate communion. We celebrate what God has done for us. And out of what he's done for us, let us go this week and share the gospel, encourage, love on, just like God has asked us to do through Christ. So let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving us everything we need. God, thank you for loving us and for encouraging us, for walking with us. And God, for asking us to do things that make us uncomfortable. Because that's where growth comes from. That's where obedience helps us as we get to see you for who you are. So God, I just pray for uh, myself, I pray for everyone in this room. God, I'm so encouraged that Jesus sent out the 12 way before they were ever ready. That there was no point for them where they had to get to this point, have this much memorized, and had this many theologians read before they could go proclaim how good you are. That, that didn't exist. So, Father, would we be obedient this week? God, would you show us the people of peace this week that we are called to share your love with? That we are to proclaim how good you are. And God, we, uh, we're, we're holding you to your word, Jesus. We're holding you to the fact that all the power and the authority and the provision to actually share the gospel is going to come from you. It's not going to come from us. We're, we're holding you to that. But Father, we are doing this and, and we're praying that we can be bold and obedient because of how good you are to us. And Father, we, we love, like First John says, because you first loved us. So as we get to take communion tonight, as we, or this morning, as we get to break the bread and dip it into the juice, Father, let it let not become just second nature movement, Father. Let that be a reminder of the beautifulness of your love for us. 
that you died for us when we were still sinners, that we've done nothing to earn your love, nothing to earn your favor, but because how good you are, you did it. You, you gave us a new identity. You gave us righteousness that we don't have to earn, that we cannot earn. Jesus, we thank you for that. So let us not, as we try to be obedient and proclaiming the good news, let us not do this on our own power, God. Let us do it because of how much you first loved us. Let us dwell and meditate on that. Even in our most wicked days, your love for us doesn't change. And even in our best days, your love for us doesn't change. You are beautiful. A love that we don't have words for. Because the only love we understand is conditional. I will love you as long as you do this. Father, but what you offer to us is a sacrificial, unconditional love that knows no bounds. So God, I pray for the church as we go this week. God, would you give us an incredible boldness. God, would you allow us to be obedient? Would you allow us to get into conversations with people of peace? Would it become apparent and obvious when it's our time to speak the gospel over someone? And as we open our mouth, the only thing you've asked us to do, and as we uh, take care of, God, will we understand that this is your power, this is your authority, this is your provision. We just get to be the hands and feet of you. So God, thank you for loving us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So as we go into communion, um, this is the time for us as uh, believers, for us to remember how good God has been to us. If you're not yet a believer, man, I'm so grateful that you're here. But we just ask that you would respectfully um, let us partake in this because uh, this means the world to us. This is a time for us to come back to what is central in our faith. And you can just uh, observe and continue to worship with us. Uh, but the last thing, remember, if, if you're one of those people that just don't, you know, but you just don't care, please write it on your card. Drop it in one of the communion buckets or the offering or welcome table. Uh, and I would love just to buy you a lunch or a cup of coffee in a month and just talk. Uh, would you guys stay with me and worship? <laughs>